Well, good morning. Lovely to see you. Man, look at on a long weekend, and here you are. Bob uh, wanted to know when I could preach, and I said, well, why don't you give me a weekend where uh, you and your kids need to be out camping? I said, he said, how about Fourth of July weekend? I said, sure, throw up 12 chairs and we'll be fine. So you guys are, you guys are great. Super to see you. Somebody asked in the uh, foyer about my retirement. I retired uh, December 31st, and uh, I said, it's not going well. I, they said, well, how come? I said, well, because when you're retiring, uh, really, you never get a day off. And uh, that's, how I, that's how I feel. So uh, anyway, good to see you. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. I, uh, that really wasn't that funny, was it? <laughs> so, uh, hey, they've been working through a great series on unlikely leaders, uh, focusing on Moses, and uh, today is the first in a series of one, and uh, it's just a one-off sermon, and we're going to look at how to escape fear. And uh, I chose that topic because I'm at, a, I'm at a new chapter in my life, and all my life, Fear has been a constant companion. And when you're younger and you have lots of emotional energy and physical energy and other energy, you find ways to shed off or work through or just persevere with the fear that you live with. But I'm at a stage in life where I have less strength and less energy and where I want to leave a different legacy to my grandchildren than the legacy that some things we get trapped in when we're young, we're just trapped in until we go to heaven. And so in this chapter in my life, I am inviting the Lord into spaces and places of fear that have dominated my life. And so we're going to start by looking at a couple scripture verses, 2 Timothy 1-7, the last, the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, a young worker in the Christian faith, and he wrote these words, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline, some translations say, sound mind or wisdom. And then from Romans chapter 8, verse 15 So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Let's just have a short prayer. Lord, as we delve into this topic, it's not just fear that traps some of us. It may be something else. We invite the Holy Spirit to speak life and freedom into our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We often end up in places in life where we deal with emotions and we're not really sure where they come from. I've had what I would consider an unnatural fear of shame and humiliation, of failure, of disappointing others. And so I have built strategic patterns in my life to deal with those kinds of things. I felt in times in my life where I was always auditioning, never sure, 
no matter how well today went, never sure if tomorrow I would win either acceptance or win the part. It is an exhausting place to live when you feel you are always auditioning, no matter what the circumstance or who the people are. The fact is that fear is a natural part of our life. When we feel something is being risked, at risk, that we value, we have fear. But fear can become a tool of terror, and that's one of the first things I want us to consider. We often allow normal emotions to become tools of terror. You and I have normal emotions, and fear is a normal emotion that's actually designed to protect us. And so there are things we ought to be afraid of. But it is the nature of the accuser of the brethren, Satan, to take our normal emotions, attach them to meanings we have given our history, and then to use those emotions to drive us into places that are unhealthy and actually very caustic and corrosive in our life. And so in my life, fear became a tool that drove me into places of panic. Now, I'm, a, I'm an introvert by nature, and it's always been to me a, a humorous thing that the Lord invited me into a very public kind of life occupation when my uh, favorite place, even my picture of a, of a vacation, is a beach, water, an umbrella, a chair, a stack of books, and no people. <laughs> an introvert does not actually, contrary to public opinion, dislike people. It's just that when they're with a lot of people, when they're done, they are exhausted. Now, my wife lives by the motto, the more the merrier. And when we're done, she is excited. Man, that was great. And I'm sitting slumped in a chair. Yeah, yeah. And uh, looking for my pajamas <laughs> because I'm exhausted. So introverts like people but they, they do better with them in small doses. And, uh, but what happens when an area of our life becomes dysfunctional or unhealthy? Well, Satan will take that area and attach it to a normal pattern. So I'm normally an introvert, and being an introvert is not an unrighteous thing. But an introvert now attached to the baggage of our life can drive us to a place of isolation. Until in order to compensate for all the fear that we're dealing with, we try to simply isolate ourselves way out in the fringe. And we extend our normal emotions and makeup into very unhealthy areas. And we begin to withdraw. Now fear, unhealthy fear, causes us to face two primary issues. One we have taken the history of our life and given it an unhealthy meaning. Now our history is history. What's happened to us, what other people have done to us, what we have done to other people and we have done to ourselves, that is a normal part of our history. But we give meaning to our history. And so when the Lord came to Gideon in the book of Judges, where he was hiding in a wine press, thrashing out grain out of fear. The Lord says, why are you here? And he said, well, number one, 
The Midianites come down and ravage us every year, steal our grain, destroy our livestock. Number two, God does not show up to deliver us. And number three, I'm from a weak clan, a small family. Now, you know what? All three of those things were true. But what meaning did he give to those things? That the Midianites are more powerful than we are. That God has abandoned us and that I am powerless. And things happen to us and then we give them meaning. And a lot of times we do that when we are children. We are not even aware of the meanings we give. And so when we begin to deal with the emotion of our life that has been tainted by the fear that captures us, we have to dismantle not the history, but the meaning. I just came back from South Korea where I was teaching at Seoul Theological University. And uh, one of the talks I gave was the 10 unchangeable features of our life. And if they are unchangeable, it means that God has a way to work redemptively in them and through them to bring life to us and to other people. So we have to learn how to dismantle the meanings, the false meanings we have given to events in our life. But there's a second. Because we have fear, we have created, and I created, routines that accommodated and were driven by that fear. And even if I begin to dismantle the fear in my life, I have to face that I have many routines in my life that I established because they accommodate an answer to the fear that has authority in my life. So I not only have to address the meaning I have given my history, I have to address the routines I have established to accommodate the fear. Because at least for me, fear became part of my spiritual DNA. I made friends with it and learned to accommodate it. And now at 69, better late than never, I have said to myself and to the Lord, no matter how uncomfortable this is, I refuse to give fear a place at my table anymore. And so I am revisiting the meanings I have given the history of my life, and I am visiting the routines that I have established in my life. Now, lest we think we are overwhelmed, some of God's greatest servants dealt with fear. When the Lord came to Moses and said, I want you to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses gave God one, two, three, four, five reasons, five fearful reasons why he was a very bad choice. When the Lord came to Gideon and said, in effect, I want you to take 300 men and fight the 40,000 Midianites, and uh, you're going to win. Not once, not twice, but three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times in that account, Gideon responds with fear. And yet, with Moses and with Gideon, God was enormously patient and gracious. And when Elijah, after the great contest on Mount Carmel, 
where he called down fire to consume an offering and overwhelm the prophets of Baal. And then heading into town, heard the words of Jezebel that his life was in danger. He fled exhausted. The Bible tells us that the Lord came to him in a still, small voice, speaking quietly and gently because he knew how unraveled Elijah was. Moses, fear sparked by the sense of inadequacy. Gideon, fear sparked by the external circumstances of his life. Elijah, fear sparked by the physical and emotional exhaustion. And then there's Peter, who had so wanted to be strong for Jesus as Jesus faced the cross. And yet again and again, in a 24-hour period, he failed him. And yet when Jesus, after the resurrection, meets Peter along the shore of the sea, Jesus so graciously doesn't even bring it up. So as we come to those emotions which have been creating such dysfunction in our life, robbing us, the Lord comes to us and promises the journey with us through that process. Let's look at a second. We overcome fear primarily through relationships rather than concepts. Now, let's just start by saying I hate this point. I am an introvert. My primary mode of looking at the world is as a strategic thinker. I like concepts. I read philosophy for fun. And this idea that the primary solutions are relational, not conceptual. I, I think, no. But the Lord tells us his kingdom is built around the principle of love. And if it's built around the principle of love, then the primary reality of his kingdom is relationships, not concepts. And so you see in Romans 8, 15, we have not received the spirit that makes us fearful slaves, but what? Listen to the relational context of the rest of that verse. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you, relationship, as you his own children, relationship. Now we call him Abba Father. Abba is a relational, warm, affectionate term for God. All relational. And if I want to overcome fear in my life, I must change my relational world. If I want to overcome fear in my life, I must change my relational world and add people into that world that can speak life and knowledge. Because if I sit at a coffee shop with my journal open, talking to myself... I will not overcome the fear in my life. I want to sit at a coffee shop with my journal open, scribbling down, talking to myself and overcome my fear. But I will not do it. And God is doing me a favor by not allowing me to do it on my own. (coughs) 
Now we're going we're gonna to meld together point two and three because I want to show you how I'm doing this at the moment. And I'm learning that God works through baby steps. Once in a while, we'll get an epiphany and we'll take a big leap and we'll know it's a big leap. But most of the time, God leads us into life and into truth with baby steps, just as he did with Moses and Gideon and Elijah and Peter. So here's a baby step. I have a, uh, I have a little thing I do every morning, almost every morning. I do it, I use the word almost because I take an idea and make a list out of it. And from a list that becomes a regiment and then that becomes my master and now I'm living by law. And so some days I don't do it just to make sure I'm not living by the law. But, but uh, I got a little sheet like this from Daytimers. And on the top half of this sheet, for 14 rows, and then I draw a line, I make a series of declarations. The first declaration I write down almost every morning is this. I am not alone. Now, you probably sitting there thinking, what could be more obvious than that? But in my spirit, I have functioned as if I was alone. Because alone was the only place of safety in the midst of fear. So every morning, whether I'm at Cafe Havana up in Belgrade or cold smoke out here, out here in Bozeman, I take out this piece of paper and I write, I am not alone. Now here's how that works out. So I'm going to Seoul to teach. And I thought, you know, these are all, Seoul has the fastest internet in the world. So I think, these people are all tech people, you know, and I want to take some pictures of my family. Well, you know what I want to do? I want to be able to, uh, there, can you see that one? I want to be able to just show them some physical snapshots. And I'm thinking, no, no, I need to be, no, I'm, I am intimidated by technology. Like, I still write on parchment. I mean, <laughs> I have a, not a pen collection, but a writing instrument collection. And, uh, and I thought, no, no, I need to be, and then my father, like, I don't know how to fix anything. You give me an organization, and I can quickly, I used to consult with organization, I can quickly see all the pieces and how it works. But my dad, we were on the farm, and a farmer could fix anything, and He'd be underneath the truck fixing something. He said, Derry, give me a 916th wrench. I'd go over to the workbench and I'd look and look and look and I'd swear there is no 916th inch on, wrench on that thing. Finally, my dad would get out from, under the, out from under the vehicle and he'd be using Christian words and, and <laughs> he'd walk right over to the bench and he'd pick up the 916th and he'd, to this day, I think, how did he do that? <laughs> so I'm thinking, now technology. I want to show him pictures of my family, and then part of my, part of my uh, presentation actually had material that I'd used in my TED Talk. Uh, I have no idea. How would you put that on a computer? Well, what if, what if I'm not alone? So first I went to Logan. I said, Logan. Do you have any time to uh, put my TED Talk onto my computer on a, it's you bet. So 
About two weeks later, gives me, hey, it's on. Then I went to Sam Bennett. I said, Sam, I'd like to get uh, some pictures of my family that I could throw on a screen. Would, would you be able to help me to do that? Yeah, yeah. You know, it takes him like 15 minutes. It would take me 15 hours just to find the on button. So, I, and so now I got it. But I think, now I've never, they, they have podiums in uh, Korea where they're all technology and you know, plug them in. And it's, so I get there and uh, we're going to look at those two things. But I don't, how, do, how do you make that work with this electric podium? And so Bill Vermillion, who I'm teaching with, he helps me. And part of it is ready. But we still can't get another part work. So James, a student from Korea, he helps me again. And then we have one other thing because we're using two different systems. And so Mitsuru Oi, a pastor from Tokyo, Japan, says, I figured it out. And so I gave my presentation for that day and they saw my family on pictures up on the screen that for Sam even got him where there's background music and it folds over from one picture to the next. And I'm thinking, man, I'm good. <laughs> and I play, halfway through my lecture, I play my TED Talk. And... But you know, I went, I went back to my room that night and said, I'm not alone. Logan and Sam in the United States, Bill Vermillion from Portland, Oregon, Mitsuru Oi from Japan, and James from Seoul, South Korea, helped me put this presentation together. And that was one little baby step. One day when I said, fear will not rule this day. We overcome fear primarily through relational rather than conceptual steps. Number three, baby steps is the common route to a new reality. So let me just say a word about the rest of this little list that I put together. I've decided to take the war against fear into the material world, not keep it in my intellectual world, because in my intellectual world, I keep losing But you know that when God wanted to bring redemption to the world, he took the battle with Jesus into the material world on a material cross where Jesus defeated Satan. And so, every day, I have a daily routine. This is not a routine I'm recommending to you. I'm simply using it as an example of how we take something into the material world. Number one, it is a statement of authority. Fear will not be the primary decider of the issues of my life. And so whenever I make this list every morning, I am making a statement of authority. The back door of my life will not be unlocked so fear can just walk in and ravage whatever it wants. And if I lose today, I will fight again tomorrow. And so I write down, I am not alone. But I have other things I write down. I write down, I am the chiefest of sinners and the least of all saints. Something Paul said about himself. 
and I'm numbered with the transgressors, which is said about Jesus. Why would I write those down? Because I came from a family where image was a big thing. And those two statements attack the issue of image. I am the chiefest of sinners and the least of all saints. And I am numbered with the transgressors. There's no use pretending I am more than I am. And then I write down what Paul said. But even though I'm the chiefest of sinners and least of all saints, he writes down, but I am what I am by the grace of God. And because I am what I am, I write down a fifth thing. And so today I will live courageously, joyfully, humbly, and gratefully. Now there are dozens and dozens of character qualities. Those are just the four that I want. And really, it's not, the key is not just courageously because I'm fighting against fear. It's to be joyful while I'm being courageous. I found that's actually where the battle is. How to be courageous and be joyful in the midst of it. Now this is going to seem odd, but I do this just because I lived with a fair amount of self-rejection given the meaning I gave my history. In the morning, one of the very first things I do is stand in front of the mirror and I look at myself and I smile. And I say, welcome to today. Of all the things I do, I, that's the most awkward. <laughs> but if I can't welcome me, how do I expect anybody else to welcome me? And then I write down the little phrase, baby steps, just to remind me. At the end of the day, I want to know that somewhere in my life, I took a little step that attacked fear and took authority in that area of my life. And for this season of my life, I write down, I am a scholar. We are different things in different seasons of life. Sometimes we are more than one thing. But I am, in this season of my life, a teacher and a writer. And I write down, I am a scholar. And then I write down the word loyal. And I put an arrow to scholar and say, will I be loyal to that today? Because I'll have many options to betray that identity. Just like you will have many options to betray the identity you're trying to choose before the Lord. We often allow normal emotions to become tools of terror, so we must dismantle the meanings we give our history and the routines we have built to accommodate our fear. We overcome fear primarily through relationship rather than concept, and we use baby steps as our route to a new reality. While I was in South Korea, they took us to the missionary cemetery in Seoul. That's a humbling place to walk through a cemetery where 150 of the graves are missionaries and their wives and husbands and children who died in Korea sharing the gospel. And in that cemetery, there is a gravestone, and on the stone is Ruby Rachel Kendrick. Ruby Rachel Kendrick was born January 28, 1883. She died in Seoul, South Korea, August 15, 1908, at the age of 25. On her gravestone is a quote that came from a letter she wrote her mother not long before she died, back in Ohio. She wrote to her mother and said that she was sick, 
having only been in Korea for about eight months. But she says, even though I'm sick and not sure if I will live, she wrote these words, if I had a thousand lives to give, Korea should have them all. And she described watching little children walk for many kilometers to a little chapel where they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ taught. And before the letter ever got home to her mother, Ruby died. At the age of 25, what's God up to? Ruby's mom read the letter, and then later on, word came that her daughter had died and was buried in Korea. She showed the letter to some friends, and somehow, in ways that nobody knows but God, that letter actually made it to an editor of the New York Times. And the New York Times published the letter of Ruby Rachel Kendrick, written at 25 years of age from Korea. And from that letter, it is documented that nearly 1,500 people entered the missionary endeavor of bringing the gospel to people in other countries. From the one letter of a 25-year-old girl who lived for eight months on the mission field before she died. And given the battle I'm fighting with fear, I read those words on her tombstone and I thought, no matter what happens to us, no matter how we weave in and out of fear, we are able to live an unintimidated life with Jesus Christ. So whether you're escaping fear or something else, the Lord wants to walk with you into a place of freedom and life. Well, why don't we put our things aside and would you just bow your heads with me for a few moments as we finish up today. And just with our heads bowed and we're not looking around, nobody's embarrassing you. But could you say to the Lord, Lord, you know what it is I need to escape from. It might be fear, but it may be another emotion or another circumstance or something in your past that haunts you day after day. Some silent intruder and you've heard the Holy Spirit say to you, I want to bring you life and hope this morning, this July morning, I want you to hear from me, you are not alone. And could you find it in your heart just to say yes? Say, Lord, I, I, I know you care about me. I'm not even sure the next step but I want to say yes to you that you will lead me to a new place. I want to no longer give authority to that thing in my life. You just pray and talk to the Lord for a moment before I pray.
Father, we want to first just thank you for your incredible patience. As we struggle with issues and emotions in our life that have been sometimes devastatingly corrosive, yet you wait. Even as we isolate ourselves and use unwise tactics, you wait because you love us and you offer us life. Even in our hurt, give us courage to declare we want to stand in authority against what has been so dis disruptive in our life. And we want to open our lives up to a network of people who can be your tools to bring life to us through the ministry of Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.